Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Now my final guest this morning is magician Keith Barry. Keith, you were one of the few performers that has successfully retained the magic of entertainment in the virtual world. But the last 12 months has been devastating for performers right across the world. So how did you approach the pandemic from a professional perspective? Good morning, Carl. Yeah, well, look, like everybody, I suppose my business was wiped out, really, with the the pandemic. I was standing on the stage March 10th last year um, playing to one and a half thousand people in the Olympia Theatre. And then the next day I was told the rest of my tour was cancelled. And that, that was that, if you like. And then there's no real guidance then or even now as to when live entertainment will be coming back. So, you know, after a couple of weeks of just putting deep thought into what I needed to do, I decided to make a calculated choice and pivot online. Um, and, you know, I suppose when we hear the word pivot, you think, oh, so you just started performing online. But it, but it wasn't the case. I actually had to figure out all of the technology needed. I had to figure out where I was going to do it. Um, and that took like obviously a number of weeks, if not months, and then I had to develop material that will work online. So it was a, quite a process. Uh, but look, touch wood, and I'm lucky to say that it worked out. And I'm very busy now in the virtual world, you know. Were you looking at how you were going to remodel the overall business in terms of the offering? And if so, how did you go about that? Yeah, well, there's two things, you know, I suppose. When I was very young, my dad drilled it into me. You know, showbiz is exactly that. It's show and business. And that has been ingrained in, into me since a young age. So I had to figure out a business model of, A, how to get word out that I was doing this, and B, was there even a marketplace for it? So that consisted of literally me and my assistant sending out 5,000 emails over the summer. So when everybody else was kind of painting the fence and cutting the grass, we sent out 5,000 emails. And I mean exactly 5,000 emails is what we sent out. Um so that took the whole of the summer to send out those emails. And those emails were basically about my virtual offerings, the fact that I had a show that would work online and so on. Um, and then from my aspect, I had to figure out, you know, obviously material and shows that would indeed work online. So I didn't take what I was pre-existingly doing and try to hack that and put it online. I actually developed brand new material and put it online. And that came from literally just uh, Skyping and Zooming as many people as possible and trying mentalism effects and tricks and all kinds of stuff on them until I got material and developed material, I suppose, that really worked and really resonated in the virtual world, you know. So if there was one benefit that you got from the time off, was it that it actually helped you creatively? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I kind of struggled for the first couple of weeks. So, I mean, the first week or 10 days was fine just sitting at home and spending time with the wife and kids. But then after that, a lot of people, certainly your listeners may not know that I'm actually a scientist. So... I rang a lot of my scientist friends and I looked into the science of kind of what was going on. And I just estimated at that time that, you know, that COVID was going to be kind of a long game thing. And so that's why, you know, I just pivoted online so quickly to take that time to develop material, to work on material that will work uh, through the screen. Because the greatest problem, I suppose, is that level of engagement that um, we all seek in life. Uh, and, you know, I've done a lot of gigs now online and, you know, I'm quite saddened that most of the comedians, unfortunately, their material doesn't seem to resonate quite as well online. And there's a lot of them that are really, really struggling at, at these times. I, I'm actually doing my bit to try and help them out as well and hire them when I can, you know. So on that basis, when we get back into some level of normality and people are able to go to gigs again, do you see yourself continuing to deliver both online and offline as well? 
Yeah, a lot of people are split on their opinion on this, but I think I've got a good, good grasp on it now because I've performed so many gigs online. So I think what will happen is this. I think once we get back to performing live from an entertainment aspect, once it's safe to do so, I think people have a hunger and desire to go out for a night out. Um, you know, and especially if they've got kids, hire a babysitter, go for a meal, go to the theatre. So I think that will come back. I think where the game will really change is a lot of the, the companies and corporations who, you know, invariably they could have an event, we'll just say in Lisbon or uh, perhaps in Paris or somewhere, and often they would hire an entertainer such as me to go over to something like that. I think those days, uh, you know, I don't think it'll be gone, but I think about 50% of it will happen online now as opposed to that. Uh, and those events are really, um, you know, events for HR companies and maybe tech companies. Uh, but a lot of that can happily exist online. In other words, they don't really need to be meeting each other and, and you know, having that interaction because they can do that online. And then um, they can deliver content online in a variety of different ways. So I think we'll enter a hybrid world. But I think from the entertainment standpoint, I think the majority of it will come back live. And that's what I would love to see. You know, I'm a live entertainer. I love being on stage. Um, so hopefully that's where it will go to, you know. And you've also taken this pandemic as an opportunity to transition into the world of corporate entertainment as well. How have you gone about doing that? I suppose the shift that I made was to target, if you like, the high-end tech firms, pharma firms, and high-end just companies in general uh, to offer them my services online. And again, that loops back to those 5,000 emails. And I suppose where where the shift is for me, I look, I'm privileged that in the last 10, 15 years, I haven't had to search for work. And that's where the shift came. So in other words, most of my days now, uh, even as I speak to you, I'm taking meetings online, which I've never had to do before. So they're pitch meetings. So I'm basically telling them what my services are. I'm showing them some magic and mentalism um, and, and explaining that I can actually motivate and engage their staff as well. So it's not just magic. I can deliver these keynotes. Um, you know, I've got one keynote called Redefine the Impossible, which is about breaking through your self-limiting beliefs. I've got another keynote on wellness, which is called Mind Magic and how you can look after your subconscious mind and your physical body and things like that. I'm doing a lot of that now. One thing that entertainers across the world are saying is that they're finding it very hard to get engagement when they're delivering a presentation through that virtual world, through Zoom or through Microsoft Teams. How are you finding that and what are you doing to keep that engagement alive throughout the show? Well, I think that's why I'm so busy is because I've developed material that works with everybody who's on the meeting. So, you know, Microsoft Teams is a good example because on Teams generally you know, you can only kind of see about a gallery view of 50 people, whereas on Zoom, which I use a lot of, you know, we can create like, you know, 20 gallery views of 50 people, which is a thousand people that you can see and we can scroll through it and so on. But when you're dealing with Teams or some of the other platforms, you can only kind of see a gallery view of 50. That means the other people are kind of disengaged, if you like, because they're just looking at it being streamed to them. So to solve that problem, I developed effects demonstrations that work in people's hands in their houses. So they perform basically magic on themselves in their houses where they amaze themselves and they don't know how they did it. And I drop loads of those macro effects, as I call them, throughout my performance. So that keeps the engagement and interactivity at its highest, um, which, again, is kind of a unique selling point from my perspective, if you like. Uh, and I find this to be working brilliantly well. Like, I suppose the first 50 gigs that I did online, I'll be honest, I hated them. 
I, I was worried about the Wi-Fi dropping out. I was worried about the technology. I was wor- worried about everything. Um, but once I got those 50 gigs under my belt, I just started to enjoy them. Uh, and now I'm having a blast, like walking in and out of the cabin in the back garden. I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just enjoying engaging people and seeing the smiles on their faces, you know. And of course, many companies now find themselves with their sales team working virtually and selling through Zoom and also through Microsoft Teams. You've been very kind in sharing tips through LinkedIn over the last couple mm-hmm. of months in terms of what you've learned. For the benefit of our listeners this morning, what are the top tips that you would have for those, let's say, in the world of sales that are selling through virtual tools today? Well, the first tip that I would have is you've got to learn about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, um, which is basically where you can actually know what somebody is thinking without them saying uh, a single word. So, you know, for example, an asymmetrical lip movement. I have a whole keynote on this alone, just reading body language. Um, so an asymmetrical lip movement, if you see somebody on the other end of the screen as you're presenting to them, as you're pitching to them, as you're just having a conversation with them, if you see an asymmetrical lip movement, which is a micro-expression, basically that means that for some reason you've triggered their internal fight-or-flight uh, response and uh, adrenaline is now going through their system and that means that they're feeling uncomfortable in that moment by something that you've said so then you have a choice to make you can either explore what has made them feel uncomfortable and you can delve in deeper or you can take your foot off the gas and you can actually just loop around it so asymmetric lip movement is one thing which basically where one side of the mouth goes up or down in the moment and the same with shoulders an asymmetrical shoulder shrug, as we call it in the industry, is, again, fight-or-flight response to something that you've said, and you've said something that perhaps makes them feel uncomfortable. You either figure out what that is or leave it alone, um, depending on what the situation is. And then, you know, obvious things that I talk about all the time are what's called mirroring, pacing, and leading. But very simply for your, your listeners, if anybody's into sales, mirroring is literally mirroring somebody's body language on Zoom, on Teams. Um, so the predominant person that you're talking to, you know, you could be talking to a lot of people, but there's always one trigger key person that you're trying to influence. So you mirror their body language. So for example, if they're drinking a cup of tea, perhaps if you've got a bottle of water, you might take a, a sip of your water uh, a few seconds after they take a sip of their tea. If they are sitting a certain way in their seat, you sit, sit in a similar position. Basically what this is doing is firing up their mirror neurons in their brain uh, and basically you're becoming like them and most people like themselves so therefore they will inherently like you and they're more inclined to do whatever it is that you're trying to persuade them to do. Now during lockdown you appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show but Mm. this high profile appearance was a result of a lot of persistence on your behalf? Yeah, absolutely. So, for example, with Ellen, I I decided I wanted to get back on Ellen. So I've been on Ellen, like, I'm going to say, like, six times, I think. Uh, but I hadn't been on her in, like, 13 years. And I wanted to keep my brand relevant in the U.S., seeing as I, I can't travel there. So I decided I'd get back on. So I rang my agent, uh, Bill Gersh is his name, and I said, Bill, I want to get back on Ellen DeGeneres. And he said, listen, Keith, it's not going to happen. There's thousands of people pitching at the moment, all virtually. Uh, you won't get on. So, of course... Uh, the type of person that I'm on, I just uh, that I am rather, I just decided, okay, well, that's more inspiration for me to actually get on Ellen. So to cut to the chase, I didn't know anybody in the Ellen organization, but I decided, look, I'll just Google the names, find out the names. So I sent 30 emails and I got no response. So most people will stop there. Uh, so then I waited a week and I sent another 30 emails and I still got no response. And I was phoning random telephone numbers as well. Anyway, it took 96 emails and 44 phone calls. And I got one response, and then uh, I pitched to them, as I have to do with nearly everything that I do. And then, yeah, October last year, ended up on the Ellen DeGeneres show. 
And as a matter of fact, tonight I've got a gig in Nashville, Tennessee, virtually, of course, from my back garden, uh, as a direct result of that uh, performance on Ellen, you know. Wow, that's fabulous. Now, we recently featured a chess grandmaster on the show talking about what skills business people can learn from the game of chess. But what skills can people learn from the world of magic? Well, I suppose, you know, there's a lot people can learn, but I think the number one thing is how to redefine the impossible. Stop limiting yourself and believe, actually, that you can achieve pretty much anything within the laws of physics in the world. Um, And then you've got to take massive action. Um, You know, the law of attraction doesn't exist, people. I hate to tell you. I hate to break it to you. If you sit at home and you pray that there's a Lamborghini going to land outside your front door, you're going to be sitting there for a long time. So... I believe in the power of uh, creative visualization, though. So if you sit there and for 15 minutes every day program your mind to achieve whatever that impossible task or goal is and program yourself daily, you'll change the neurology of your brain, which will then allow you to take massive action towards whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So massive action for me was sending out those 96 emails and 44 phone calls, those other 5,000 emails. And you've got to define what does massive action look like for you? Um, and that's the kind of things that we as magicians do. We, we, you know, we're very resilient. We won't stop until we find a solution or a method to whatever it is that we're trying to achieve. And then we always take massive action. And I always say it's a, it's a formula that I, I developed, if you like. It's um, a purpose. So once you know your purpose, once you know your end goal, you know, when you know what the success looks like for you, and you add in massive action, and you multiply that by a positive attitude and the right attitude and a resilient attitude, you are guaranteed success. Ultimately, Keith, people fail on execution, don't they? Yeah, well, that's it. That's why I say to people, you have to take action today. Like, stop faffing around, you know. Uh, stop listening to me. Stop listening to you. Like, literally, grab a journal and start there uh, and just slap down your thoughts in a journal. Again, that's what we as magicians do. I've got hundreds of journals here. I'm looking around me. And, uh, and they just have all kinds of wacky, crazy ideas. And then some I choose not to activate on because I just, you know, I decide that they're not good enough or for any reason I might not activate on them. But then, like what you said, execution is one thing. But, you know, taking that massive action and continuing to take massive action takes self-discipline. You've got to put self-discipline in, um, which means whatever it is for you, it's different for every people. But for me, it's like no alcohol Monday to Friday, working out every day, making time for that getting up an hour earlier than the rest of the household, taking cold showers, priming myself for the day ahead, working 16 hours a day, but in the middle of that 16 hours, taking time for my kids and my wife to just go for a walk or whatever it is, um, and then not stopping. Never stop. Never, ever, ever stop. And Keith, over the years, you've been known to make a few predictions. Now, I know that you recently predicted that pubs will reopen on the 1st of June, but do you have any further predictions for us this morning? I think it's hilarious. So people grab onto these <laughs> predictions. I said that about the pubs on a whim. Uh, I'm still sticking with it, by the way. I think they should be open on June 1st. A pandemic such as this, weirdly enough, I actually think it's more predictable than um, what the government is saying. You know, I, I listen to a lot of politicians saying, oh, it's so unpredictable. I was like, if you open up for Christmas, I can predict, and any anybody on the street, a dog on the street could predict that we were going to be locked up for the length of time that we were locked up for. And that happened. So there's nothing unpredictable about that. I think that's just an excuse um, for bad decision-making. That's my own opinion. Um, So I think you can predict this. So, you know, hopefully by September, everybody will be vaccinated. But because, as the science says, there is a certain element of seasonality to this, I think we'll have a spike. It's just an opinion now. I think we'll have a spike of some kind 
in October slash November, which will result in a, a lockdown once again. But I, I, I'm not pessimistic about that. I think that will be a short, sharp lockdown because hopefully most people will be vaccinated. And then my, my overall prediction is that by February 1st next year, this will be a distant memory. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to take that long. I don't think that's any surprise to anybody. Um, but for me, I think February 1st next year is when I'm predicting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any bets on this, so I'll say that with reservation, but I'm predicting that this law will be over by February 1st next year. Now, one prediction that many people had when the lockdown kicked off first day back in March of last year was that property prices would fall. That has yet to happen. When you look into your crystal ball, what do you think the future holds for property prices over the next couple of years? Well, now, I'm no property expert, I can tell you. I never got into the property market, and I don't own property except the house that I'm in. But here's a weird thing that you should ask this timely, because I talked to one of Ireland's top, top, top property developers the other day. I won't name who it was, but uh, you would know who he is. So I'm going to quote him rather than me, because I asked him, I rang him, and I was just chatting to him, and I said, what's going to happen with property? And he said, nothing. He said, it's going to stay the same for the next 24 months. It's not going to go up. It's not going to go down. It's not going to crash. So his opinion is that it's going to stay the same, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of people thought property would go down and so on, as you mentioned. Finally, Keith, on Patrick's Day, you were hosting an exciting virtual event. What can people expect from it and how can they get involved? Yes, I'm really, really excited. You know, just the, the power to bring people together on St. Patrick's Day. So I've got, it's only in a couple of days now, as you know, um, and we're nearly sold out. So basically, it's a, a virtual family-friendly experience, a highly immersive and interactive show. So again, I've got those macro effects in there where everybody will be involved and magic will happen in their hands, in their houses. A lot of fun. It's going to be 70 minutes long and a mixture of mentalism and magic. Um, and what I'm excited about is just Paddy's Day is actually my favorite day of the year. And normally I spend it at my mum's. So it's just lovely to be able to see people coming together. So there's tickets up on eventbrite.ie. You can also go through my website, which is keithbarry.com. But uh, really excited about it and looking forward to it on the night. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was magician Keith Barry, and I wish him every success with his online brain hacker event on Wednesday evening. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.